Why he fighting fighting this? Why? What? 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 What, what is his goal? Just, uh, I think you might. So I just would just stay a little further away because yeah, your voice gotcha. is deep anyway. So you're good. I like Man. that painting you set yourself up in front of. <laughs> Dude, I'm staying at family's house. It's either like guest bedroom uh, with, uh, let's say, less attractive paintings, or this one right here in the dining room. So yeah, <laughs> what we're dealing with. Well, uh, let me just uh, introduce you real quick. Okay. Sure. Is it Bentley Brown? Bentley Brown. Awesome name, by the way. That's too fucking. That's such a. That's Thank such you. A, that's a sweet name. You're lucky. <laughs> there's there's uh, there's two reactions to my name, um, in, in the U.S. I guess at least there's like the Beth Bethany Br Bethany no no Be Bentley, Brittany no no, no. <laughs> Bentley, um, and then there's also like Bentley. Damn, that's a beautiful last name. Like the yeah, car. Yeah, 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 Bentley Brown. But it sounds, yeah. dude, it just, it sounds like you sound like a detective or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and just uh, start it up and just let me introduce you in a sec, okay? Sounds good. All right. Yo, yo, welcome back to the immigrant section. As always, you can check us out on the Sonar Network, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Click that follow, subscribe button. That's all I'm looking for and check out the full videos on YouTube as always. And I just signed up for Patreon. So if you guys, if, uh, if you've been, um, supporting the immigrant section with, you know, your views and, uh, your listens for the year plus 65 episodes, it's time to put your money where your mouth is. No, but seriously though, there are some, uh, cool features on Patreon, like extra bonus stuff that once people start signing up for, I'll create and all that stuff. But the point is that it is up. The link is down there. Uh, join it, support, I'd love it. Um, you know, I put a lot of hours into this. But anyways, enough of that. Uh, my guest today, uh, I will introduce. We came in through a um, pretty weird story, how I actually uh, got connected with you. But we'll get to that shortly. Bentley Brown, how are you, man? You're good. I, like, you I was good, man. Like I was saying before we went live, dude, your name is the best, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good one. I didn't choose it. Bentley. Um, and a, a lot of people get it confused with Bethany and Brittany, uh, Benton and Brenton. Um, but don't they see on, you? They, they do. They do. But hey, man, we're like in a post-gender spectral oh, society right now. So absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and also the other side of it is it's immediately recognizable. Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful last name. Yeah. If people are familiar with the car. How often are people like, uh, is it Ro is Rolls Royce your middle name or some stupid Rolls Royce joke? How Same. It's the, it's the thing where like when, whenever you respond to someone's name with the first joke that comes to mind, right? And we all do it. Yeah. You, you quickly realize that thousands have gone before you and done the same thing. And it's oh. got to be annoying to the person. The Rolls Royce joke I've heard a million times. The best one though was I was, uh, I had met some guys at a basketball court in Saudi Arabia a couple years ago. And, um, and I was like, yo, what time do you guys play? Like during the week and everything. They're like, oh, we're on, here on Tuesdays, whatever. Oh, by the way, my name is Mustafa. My name is Mustafa. It's just like, what's your name? I said, uh, Bentley. And he didn't say, he did not say like the car. Yeah, yeah. He didn't say Zaysayara. He said Zaysayarati. Like, like my, my car. car. <laughs> yeah. And I looked down and this fucking teenager is sitting on a Bentley. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's the perfect Saudi Arabian story ever, dude. <laughs> Crazy. No, no one is doubting it too. That's the best part. <laughs> hey, by the way, Bentley, can you tone down your gain just a bit? I, I will. Just, I will. Yeah, yeah I just don't want you to clip throughout the episode. Yeah, you know what I'll do? Let me go into my uh, my internal settings here. Damn! Now you're bragging, I'll go, bro. I'll go into the inside, man. Yeah, go into the inside. Yeah. Hey, but so you know my name. A lot of uh, people, it's. It's pronounced Abbas, Abbas Wahab. Abbas, obviously, you know it's Abbas. But uh, yeah. Abbas Wahab. So every time people hear Abbas, right away they hit me with that same joke you're talking about. Oh, so yeah. I guess you're the boss. I'm like, ah, oh, my whole life. Every job interview ever. You could up, up it a bit. You clipped off way okay, too good. much. Good. I, I went down the settings and took it all the way down there. Okay. There you go. How there you go. Now? I think now you're good. perfect. Yeah. Middle ground. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. So pretty much how we got connected was you had shared one of the videos I put on Instagram and it's kind of in the request folder. I didn't fuck with it for a while. Then my roommate, Sudani guy, he's like, yo, uh, I saw you on what Browns, what, what Browns. I'm like, what? Who, what? Because I have a lot of those requests. I didn't really look into it. And then I started looking at your thing. And from what I, my first impression is like, okay, it's a white dude that can speak better Arabic than me. Okay. I'm like, oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> so I start checking out your videos. You pretty much, I don't know if you have like a background in linguistics or something, but you got Arabic down pat and you're, you kill, like you do the dial. Your videos are like, you'll do a dialect yeah. of like Sudani, Libyan, or like just give a quick background i know we damned a little bit but just for the listeners viewers give yeah. me a little bit of a background how well, you thank you first first and foremost for responding to me after i slid into your dms oh, uh, shit. it's a great it's a great honor to be here <laughs> I, I didn't say yeah we we didn't have to say slid but it was dm <laughs> it was a dm but there was no sliding there's no sliding there's, there's like just knocking, knocking yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah and and sudanese parents actually uh, uh tend to love me um, especially like in the diaspora. A hundred percent. Of course, um, I see it. Yeah. And Sudanese, uh, like second generation kids hate me because their parents are always like, Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you speak like <laughs> a... <laughs> yeah. So, um, bro, I would never invite you to my house, bro. Ever, <laughs> Ever bro. You, I yeah, get screwed good. apart, man. Dude, dude, um, that sucks for me because it would definitely be like a, a series of guaranteed nice dinners and stuff. So, uh, yeah, Whatever. for sure. For but yo, know, but give the. You said you grew up in Chad, so you learned yeah. Arabic in Chad. Yeah, the short story is that uh, I I'm, I'm born in the U.S. Um, my my dad's uh, my dad and mom are from Dallas, Texas originally. Um, yeah, which is where I'm visiting them right now. Uh, dad's a doctor, mom's an engineer, and uh, my dad had felt for a long time that he wanted to, um, in the in the words of LeBron James, take his talents uh, not to South Beach, but to somewhere where, as a doctor, he would feel uh, a, He's making a better a difference. purpose and making a difference for sure. So he looked at several medical like uh, requests, and we even went as a family when I was like eight to Tanzania. Uh, my first trip out of the U.S. was, was to. A town in Tanzania. It's, it was uh, it was mind blowing, you know. So that was the first, and you never went to like Tijuana or anything. No, no, no Tijuana, oh, so no Cozumel. This, this was your first uh, no Toronto. third world. This was your first third world experience. This is this is my first time out of the U.S. Uh, period, and after that, it became clear that he was going to take up a job in Chad. Okay. Um, and it's a place where there's a very low doctor to patient ratio, 
And so he hoped to make a difference uh, that way. He was working alongside, he was with NGO working alongside several like international organizations as well, like the UNICEF polio vaccination campaign, Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières. Uh, so that's how I grew up in Chad. And um, contrary to popular belief, uh, even people next door to Chad, like in Libya or Sudan, um, that speak Arabic often have a stereotype, stereotype about Sudan that, uh, sorry, about Chad, that, that Chadians don't speak Arabic or they don't speak I, good Arabic. I didn't even know Ch uh, Chadians spoke Arabic, to be honest with you. In fact, I didn't even know what to call a group of Chad people until you just said it right there. You got it. I would yeah. have said Chadians or Chads, <laughs> Chadians, but yeah, keep yeah. Going, sorry. The, well, the cool thing is, uh, are you in Toronto right now? I'm in Toronto right now. Okay. If you drive what, like six hours to Montreal. Uh, I was just there two weeks ago. Bro, uh, talking little, little chat, little chat. You never know. You never know. Legit, you yeah. I thought it was little Lebanon, but I guess well, uh, it's both. Little, little Francophone, <laughs> little post-colonial France. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you uh, were in yeah. chat for how many years? So that, I, and we moved when I was 11. So I wasn't like tiny, tiny, but yeah. I was definitely on that like really malleable age where like mushy brain. Yeah. Your brain just like, you're starting to get into like shit, like starting to get into your interests, like music and, uh, you know, hobbies and sports, girls, all these kind of things. So how was it? Uh, so you were there for how many years and what was, what was that like? That's, that's a, you've, it's a pretty rare thing. Like, was there anybody else in the community you grew up that was like from an American family? No. The first, so the first year we were in Chad, we were in N'Djamena, the capital city. Okay. Um, N'Djamena is a fairly low-key capital city compared to others. So, um, you know, if you visited like, you know, Khartoum, Nairobi, like Riyadh, Cairo. Cairo, these places, they all have like their, what people call the expat community. And to an extent in N'Djamena, that was there. And as a kid, I was already like age 11, like caught between, do I hang out with Chadian friends I'm just now meeting? Or do I go hang out with these like Scottish kids and, and teach them American football? And, shit. Yeah. and the, their parents drive like white UN Land Cruisers? Dude, uh, <laughs> strictly <laughs> is, Toyota right? Land Cruiser. Yeah, Toyota right. Hilux. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Toyota Hilux made an appearance for sure. Yeah, um, yeah so, so I had this kind of tension where, I, you know, obviously I wanted to fit in with the uh, Chadian friends, but it was a much easier transition to sort of like associate with these like expat kids as well. So basketball was one way that I started meeting more Chadian kids, but honestly it wasn't until like our second year in Chad when we moved to a small town called Ati. It's in the Ati. middle of Chad, like kind of on the edge of the desert, the Southern edge of the desert, uh, halfway to Sudan. Okay. That, that I was, we got there and this uh, local uh, like culture minister, it's like the, the government's like, like a copy paste of the French uh, administration. This minister of culture um, came to my dad, you know, he's a doctor and everything. I think he was getting seen for some medicine or something. And he's like, yo, your son over there, we're going to put him on a soccer team so he can make some friends. And that was like the beginning of something beautiful. Damn. And you were 12? Yeah. By that time, yeah, 12. Yeah. 12, maybe you, 12, 13. And did you pick up basic, uh, basic Arabic in the capital? Uh, Yes, we did pick up basic Arab in the capital. The dialect is different enough that the Arabic I had picked up, which I subjectively, I mean, I had heard from people, other people who had learned other Arabic dialects who would come and visit us. were saying that, like, how can you string these sentences together? Like, it's just like really fast and shit. And I, I didn't think I was going to learn Arabic at first. I assumed because I thought French was closer to English that I would sort of like self-align with like speaking French. And it wasn't until actually arriving in Chad and realizing that like Arabic was the trade language, especially in the part of Benjamin that we lived in and where we we're going to be moving to in Atsi, 
that I should be learning Arabic. So the Arabic epic of it in Jemena um, is very cosmopolitan. Uh, and it's a uh, very much like a. It's like pigeon Arabic. I, I was gonna say pigeon. I, I try to avoid these words because, like, you know, the Arabic crowd are like, "Oh, that Like, you don't speak classical Arabic. Yeah. Therefore, you suck, right? Yeah. Or therefore, and like, there's a lot of like racism embedded in this shit too. They try to like they take away legitimacy of any dialect that's like far away from like the center, like the Saudi Hijazi. That, that is so funny to me that people in the world, you speak Arabic, you, a white yeah. dude from Texas, speak Arabic, and yeah. people have the audacity to be like, if it's not Fusha, he ain't shit. What? Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you yeah. want? If it's not Shakespearean English, then he doesn't know English. What? Yeah. You yeah, know? It's, it's total bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you move there, your Arabic is, it's, it's market pigeon Arabic. Yeah, yeah. I remember like we were walking around and um, like one of these memories is that everywhere I would go, like a fucking pack of kids would follow me. Yeah. Like a pack. Like, would they, like, yeah, would they say what America, what America? 20 kids. They say things like Nasara. Nasara is like the local word for Hawajat, like Hawaii. Okay, like white Sudan. people. Yeah, yeah. Like white people, foreigner, that kind of thing. Um, so I would respond in Arabic and then that would like egg the kids on. And then, you know, one thing leads to another, <laughs> and, you know, a few black eyes. Right, so, uh, so I remember saying this sentence, like, I'm not afraid. I'm not of, afraid, afraid of you. Yeah. yeah. And this guy with me was like, yo, how do you know that sentence? You've only been here for like a couple months or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Survival skills, man. What are you talking about? Then I get to Ati and people make fun of my accent for being like way too in Jamena. You know, like, <laughs> and they, they speak another dialect, which um, I guess you could call it a little bit similar to like some of the Western dialects in Sudan. So, which is more like country, you'd say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely kind of country. Give yeah, me an yeah. example of that. And, like, and the, and the, the, where, where you coming? Where'd you come from, boy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of thing. Okay. Um, versus, versus would be like the capital city. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. And then how I would say, like is how we would say it in Sudan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. So you were there... In Anti, what's the city called? Ati. 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 For how many years? Uh, for like, until I came back to the U.S. for college um, when I was 18. Damn, seven years in like, seven, in, yeah. the, in the boonies of Chad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I would still go back and visit like during college breaks and stuff. And um, it wasn't until this, there was this big like uh, rebel movement and attack on the capital city in Yemen in 2008 that my parents started kind of like thinking about leaving and stuff. So they eventually moved back to the United States. But yeah. Were you like obsessed with la uh, with language when you were there or you were just living your life speaking Arabic? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I, I actually try to avoid the title like Arabist. Like I don't want people to think that like, oh, he, this guy like is like obsessed with this language. And yeah. therefore, of course, the next question is like, oh, type of Kalamara became into Muslim. Like, are you Muslim? You know? Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like the one after the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I appreciate all this. I mean, people want to feel accepted. Like they want to feel like it's a, it's a comforting thing that this like white guy like uh, understands them. Like I grew up in a place that's like more, it's more like rural, like Sudan than all of Sudan. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like no Sudanese person from Khartoum has seen the like the Sudanness of chat that I grew up yeah, in. You okay, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I gotcha. But yeah. I, I'll say this: that I'm I'm originally from Sudan. We had kind of a reverse life in a weird way. Yeah, you know? I know. I moved yeah. from Sudan to Canada when. Well, I moved from Sudan to Oman when I was three. My dad worked there, and then we moved from Oman to Canada when I was six. So I show up in Canada first grade, right? And with all the white kids. So it's a kind of a reverse thing, right? Nice. And uh, 
Yeah, dude. Like I used to go back all the. I used to go back every five years, and we would go not just to the Khartoum to the Hilla. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm from a Hilla called Wad Al Hindi, which okay. is like Wad Al Hindi is like there's a place called you know Madani Sudan. Oh yeah, yeah, been many times. So Wad Al Hindi is 20 minutes or 30 minutes away from Wad Al Hindi by Muasalat by the transportation. Oh, nice. So ah, literally, nice. so I grew up, so I know the Hilla life. What is it compared yeah. to like? What was the Ati and Chad compared to like Medani? Totally. So Chad's, Chad is uh, just to be really, really simplistic. It's like a smaller Sudan in a, while, in a way. Gotcha. The major cities of Chad. Ati is like a recognizable town. People like from Medina. Chad. Yeah, if you meet some Chadian dude in like in Montreal or in Saudi Arabia or in Sudan or whatever, and you mention these cities, Atia, Um Hajar, uh, Mongo, Amatiman, Abeshe, they're going to know all those cities. But those cities are mostly smaller than like, all, all like the top 10 Sudanese cities. You know? uh, okay. So Madani, Madani honestly is closer to N'Djamena, the capital city. Really? In terms of size and scope. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Also on a river and that kind of thing, for sure. Uh, it, I didn't feel that like I was in a Ati equivalent until I got to smaller towns in Sudan. Okay, the, um, the first yeah. one was Rosaitis, which is the sister city across from the, the Blue Nile from Damazin in the south near Ethiopia. Oh, damn. And the next one was like in, like in Western Kordofan area historically. So like um, El Mujlet, uh, Pabonosa, and another town called Nahud, which is like west of Arubayid. These places, I'm like, whoa, the wide streets, the big meme trees, the soccer fields, the, even the way here. people are just yeah. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the, it, it reminded me of the vibe of where I grew up. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. Well, how, did people embrace you the same way in Sudan as they did in Chad? Uh, very different, actually. Yeah, so um, this is the weird thing, man, because we know Sudan went through a big revolution this last year. There's still a lot of work that's being being done to improve the system of government and to prevent, uh, like, Omar Bashir <laughs> military Stam- aggression. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but that said, Sudan economically has, I know it's in terrible inflation moment right now, but has been better off than Chad for the last like 30 years, um, objectively. And and Chad also has a 30-year dictator, Idris Debi, uh, who's been president for that. Oh, so, so Omar Bashir like five years ago, kind of like, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they like shared notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like no joke. As a, as a 12 year old, like I remember seeing in my friend's houses, posters of Omar Bashir with Debbie, like live, wearing their military fatigues from like the early 90s. In the together. general, in general mode, yeah. you know, Dude. way before Instagram <laughs> was around. <laughs> but it... Yeah, definitely. So, um. So, so yeah, uh, Sudanese people were very hospitable, um, sometimes almost like s- some, not all, uh, kind of almost anno- like annoyingly so. Like they, they like have to show you how freaking nice they are. So like they're like paying for everything. Like I'm shamed into like being treated for everything, you know. And I get to chat and some of my best friends are like, yo, hey, man, can you like spot me like, you know, $2 for this like pack of cigarettes right here or whatever, you know. So it's definitely a different economic. But I, I think that's more of like, Chad is home for you, so there's no bullshit. You're, you're not That's getting true. guest. You're not getting the guest treatment. So Sudan is like you're a guest. Yeah. Do, they, do they assume? Do people just assume you're with UN when you're in Africa? Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that roughly speaking, Chad. The word Nasara uh, yeah. has a connotation of French as well, like French colonizer. So even though it historically comes from like people of like Nazarene, like Christian, actually, it's one of the words for Christian and and like Islam, I think particularly, but. Uh, Nasara in Chad just means like French person. So there are moments where in Chad, if someone doesn't know me, like if I'm in Jamaica, not like Atia, someone says like, yo, Nasara, da, 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 and I respond in Arabic, they go, oh, 
I'm so sorry. My lish fakartak nasaran. I thought you were a French white person. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's so interesting. Same thing in Sudan, though, too. Like people say, then I say something back and they're like, oh, I, I have heard this sentence multiple times. My lish fakartak yeah, I'm sorry. I like, thought you were white. I'm sorry. I thought you were white. I, I, I am. I must apologize. <laughs> Bro, I have. I do a bit. I do stand up. I have a do. Uh, yeah, I've seen some. I I do a bit about like being a black Arab, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like I, one time I never realized. I always felt it, but one time I actually got off the phone talking to my mom, and uh, a white friend of mine came up and he was like, "Bro, I thought you were black." <laughs> <laughs> It's race, crazy. Once language gets involved, race becomes almost ambiguously Dude. weird, right? Yeah, and especially now where like America is just now waking up to like, you know, institutional racism and confronting white supremacy. People think white supremacy, like the white people are like, what? I'm not white supremacist because I don't have like a KKK outfit and like tout a gun yeah, everywhere yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, we're talking about like white being the, the assumed regular, right? The normal, like we all have to the perform default, this. Yeah this white culture, even at my university, I have to sound white to effectively communicate and shit. But it's, it's funny because university should be the place where like, <laughs> they like, you know, deconstruct the notions of identity. <laughs> so like- They're the reinforcer the most. <laughs> it's crazy, it's crazy, yeah, yeah. So what do you, uh, so you came back to the States for college, what'd you study? I studied international studies. I took the easy of way Of course, out. <laughs> of course. You were just- I, I started though. I had the, 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 like, you know, Brown, I mean, my last name is Brown. I don't know, but, but I had the, the, like, I need to study biochemistry. I need yeah. to like invent a cure to illnesses. I need to yeah. like follow my, my doctor, father and engineer mother's footsteps. I had that for like a minute and like, uh, in middle school. And then I was like, screw this linguistics, languages, international studies, filmmaking. That's amazing, man. I salute you. I had I that. It. I had that same realization, but after five years of engineering school and three years of engineering career. <laughs> oh, oh, you, got, you went pretty deep. Yeah, yeah dude. Special <laughs> experience, special experience. I went all the way like, oh, fuck this. Really? I saw, I have, I closed my eyes to all the like warning signs on the way there. Uh, I, I had a friend in, in Khartoum. Uh, he studied medicine for years. I think he was even doing his residency. And he remembers he would have like these medical textbooks open. It's like bio biology and anatomy textbooks and everything. Uh, open and then would would sneak like contraband material inside. He's reading philosophy like Nietzsche and all this kind of shit. And he just he got to a point where he couldn't take the medical field anymore. And he oh, like, like self destructed. He was like looking for ways to get fired or leave or whatever. Yeah. People don't get it. A lot of like in Sudan. When I go to Sudan, every like legitimately seventy five or eighty percent of my cousins. If you are going to college, if you are going past high school, you're mm -hmm. studying either medicine or engineering and the reality is that you think they say here you know like only, uh medical schools only accept five percent of applicants there it's like everyone took the four-year medicine and they're just in the hill of the villages chilling no one has jobs yeah and it's only the top one percent that actually get employed and the and the ones who get scholarships never come back to the country <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like a fucking it's a weird situation where it's like just let's just produce engineers and doctors and now like my cousins would be in the villages just chilling under i'd go there in the summers they, there's no engineer they all have engineering degrees there's no engineering mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. unless you went to jamat al khartoum university yeah. of khartoum, and you're the yeah. top five yeah. percent there's no jobs besides that yeah yeah man so it's just people, it's so the, like your buddy, there's probably a th thousands of people in your friend state where they're just like, yeah, medicine, it's just 
we're all going to be doctors, I guess. Yeah, and it's uh, the sad thing is uh, it's kind of a, a brain drain is like the huge the word we use sometimes. Huge, uh, and 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 it gets taken advantage of as well. I mean, like you know, you've I'm sure I'm sure you've heard of even the the Daesh, like the ISIS like campaigns to get Sudanese doctors to join ISIS. I've like never heard of that. What insane! It was a big deal. Yeah, people were being um, they're being like radicalized, and one of the theories was that. All these uh, kids were growing up like abroad, so a lot of diaspora kids were studying medicine, or they, or they even came back to Sudan to to do medical school, like Jamal Farkoum or Jamal Afriyeh or something like this. Uh, if they have medical schools in Afriyeh, I'm not sure exactly which which one has the the medical schools, and and were getting like picked off um, by these like recruiters because they felt like they didn't belong, so they were going back to Khartoum wanting to reconnect with Sudan, like, you know, like screw like the, I was going to say patriarchy, screw the, screw the colonial, <laughs> like dominant yeah, system. Yeah. Like you have to get a degree in America or Canada or UK or whatever. They're like, fuck it. I'm going to go back and study in Sudan. And when they did that, they came back and felt like they didn't really belong. They had trouble adjusting and were just like radicalized. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's the story. It, wow. That's, this is back when ISIS was in the prime of recruitment. This, this is in its glory days. Yeah, yeah when they had scholarship money like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so, They're like, uh, listen, we have a reduced student loan. Yeah. Because yeah. of your great performance in the university. <laughs> I have, I'd love to commit acts of terror with you, but I'm actually really financially strapped <laughs> right now. So if you could somehow subsidize some of the costs, I would love to murder in the name of ISIS. Uh, <laughs> what's it called? After you finished international, by the way, in, in international studies, I imagine you just not studying and showing up so worldly and cultured to the test. Like there's Bentley. He's lived everywhere. He hasn't even studied for any of his tests. Yo, I got in a fight with my Arabic teacher. I took, I took Fusha. So Which is I, like traditional Shakespearean old, imagine yeah. old English or like Quran's Arabic is called Fusha. Yeah, yeah. Literal, literal literary, literal Arabic. Uh, I took Fusha. And ironically, I sucked at the beginning because I had grown up speaking a dialect and I and I'd studied Fusha briefly, um, or I got learned to read and write from a, a teacher of mine, uh, an awesome guy um, back in, uh, in Ati. But I show up and they're like, hey, you'll write us a paragraph. Like, pr- show us what you know so we can place you in the right class. And I'm just like taking all these Shakespearean sounding words and just putting them together in a random paragraph. It, it was total gibberish. I was like, I have no idea what the hell I'm writing. That's how I learned Arabic. So they were like, congratulations. That's all. I only, bro, I learned, I only learned to read Quran. So I only learned Fusha. So I can't even read Arabic now because I need a Fatha Kasra Dhamma. Whoa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, man. So yeah, so they placed me in second year Arabic, but it's even second year, once I get there, that's with people that have been studying Arabic like since freshman year, just like sophomore year, that's it. So like even there, there was tension because like, okay, finally, I'm, I'm realizing what these actual full style words mean, how they're used. And so I, I pick it up like that. And a professor like stopped talking to me in class. Um, and I confronted her after a class. I was like, like, you don't let me participate anymore. She's like, but you're like, you you have a bad attitude. Like you're sitting there like a know-it-all over there in the corner. I'm like, bro, <laughs> I'm a student in the class. Like, what do you want me to do? And she eventually wound up, we were in this like 10 story, uh, this is at Emory University in Atlanta and like the, the Woodruff Library, this like really tall library. So we're in the elevator and she's like, uh, 
like, I'm sorry, I must apologize for the way I treated you. But it was, it was rough adjusting to it. And they, eventually, they let me skip another level. So. That's hilarious. Because even the way she apologized was kind of like very formal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, so you actually, you took this Arabic class. This sounds like if it's, uh, I don't know this college, but if it's in Atlanta, is it a predominantly black school? Uh, no. So it was... Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. Because I'm like, are you a white dude in a black college studying Arabic? Yeah, Arabic? No. What the fuck is going on? Here? No, not quite. No, if you went to like Clark or Spelman, like those areas. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Those are, I think, those are historically black colleges. But the Emory, Emory's like private. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, a little full of itself in some oh, ways. Oh, it's like it's like uh, it's like George's Ivy kind of. Someone, some people, yeah, exactly. They joke, they joke that um, Harvard is the Emory of the North. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, and I mean that to say, uh, that like a lot of the students are coming from places like Long Island and stuff. It's a big, like well to do money migration. Yeah, dude. It's, gotcha. It was, it was very, very interesting. And I, I thought I, actually in, in many ways, I thought that was actually a very enlightening experience for us to be in Atlanta, like a majority black city. Um, and then to be amongst all this like privilege, but also with, you know, the usual diversity of college, like, you know, in some ways, I feel like, you know, our identities formed. I mean, maybe you share the same thing. You have your parents' culture and you move to another country and you have that country's culture. And then they from then on out, yeah. yeah, then on out, you're a third culture kid. You don't fit in here. You don't fit in there. But you do fit in here. You do fit in there. You're comfortable on an airplane, blah, 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 blah. But I think that, like, our experience in college um, or in, in any sort of institution like that, I think is also very formative. And so it was very, very interesting to have, like, Indian uh, background students, um, you know, Chinese, uh, white, black, Latino, everybody um, there. So it was that introduction to like global identity politics yeah. was college for me. The same thing happened to me when I was, you know, 17, 18, when I went to first year university. Same exact thing. Yeah. I grew up really. So I grew up in a city in Ontario called London, Ontario, which is predominantly white mm -hmm. with little subsections of my, it's, it's one of those cities that, a lot of people, when they first come to Canada, they, they, they start at step one. It's like our Ellis Island, you know what I mean? For yeah, immigrants yeah, and refugees. Yeah, yeah. And then they branch out to like, uh, well, they also land in Mississauga, which you've probably heard. And like, which Shot is a film fun. there. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So the, there's a couple of places where you go and then you move to prosper. People move to Calgary. They'll move to Toronto. They'll move to Vancouver, blah, blah, blah. But I grew up in London in a very close knit Arab community. It was like all those people that I just said had formed a bubble around me. So, so I was always at the mosque every Friday yeah. prayer. I'm like, there's when you come into my house, when, when my, like, when you come by my house and like with my white friend knocked at my door, I'd quickly run open and close it behind me because all the bakhur is coming out. They're like, what the fuck is that smoke? I'm like, don't worry about it. What's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Love it, man. Like Love it's it. like the most Sudani incense. So I grew up like that. It's still Canada. So school was like Canadian white culture. And then after school was all like immigrant Arab kind of thing going on. I was in Quran studying as on weekends. I was in Arabic, like all that stuff. Yeah. And then I go to university. Suddenly I'm with, uh, like you said, Hindi, Japanese, uh, yeah. Indian, like Tanzanian, my buddy, like people from all over, international students and everything in between. And you're like, oh, shit. You know, it really makes you, you realize, you realize how much of a bubble you lived in. I love it. And I, I honestly, visiting Toronto, um, I was there maybe a couple times. Uh, 
one of them was for this like fake ass like scam film festival called yeah. the Toronto no Toronto African Film and Music Festival. We we showed up. We didn't fortunately we didn't just go for this right. So we were on this big road trip, and we yeah. and I had a film that was screening there, and they screened it in like a restaurant. Like people were like showing up, like, <laughs> like at the restaurant time. TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. But not TIFF. And I wanted to check out where TIFF events were held and stuff. So we went downtown. We checked out. I think it's called. Is it Young Young Square? Uh, Dundas Square on Young Street in Dundas. Uh, on Young Street, Dundas Square. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Down there, I'm with my friend from college, from uh, from Atlanta. One of my uh, best friends. This dude is. Uh, he he. First of all, he speaks Arabic. He speaks like Chinese. Uh, and then Spanish and English, like native level. Um, his his mom's Cuban. Uh, he grew up in like like Florida and, and Maine and LA. Like so, he's everything of everything. Um, <laughs> and he's albino too, right? Whoa, oh. so, so it like messes with people's minds because um, they can't yeah. profile him. They just can't. Yeah, they can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If he did crime, it would be yeah. <laughs> it would be hilariously easy for cops to find him, but also weirdly confusing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was super white and he was speaking Chinese, but I think it might have been Arabic. I'm not there sure. There may have been a, a hint of Cubano there. Yeah, yeah right. So, so we're, we're there. We have brought, this is typical shit, man. We had brought a shisha with us right, yeah. from America in our car, right? So I have one right now. <laughs> we're in Dundas Square, right? Yeah. There's like fountains and shit. People walk around at night and everything. And we just straight up light a, light a shisha, right? So coals, self-light coals, everything. And this is our college experience. Like it's yeah, sitting there watching yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, the, it's the life, right? Like the longer, the better, the more yeah, people, the yeah, better. Yeah. Oh, and, I have it right and a, now. <laughs> and a police officer uh, walks up to us. Oh, yeah. So we're like, oh, man, we fuck, we're going to get like deported or some shit. Like this is, this is, this is trouble. Guy comes up and we're super nervous um, because as far as we know, like American police, they don't even recognize shisha or hookah as like a, just like a basic smoking apparatus. It's like drug paraphernalia. Yeah, right? that's weed. Right? There's weed. Drug drug that's opium. Yeah. Whatever, yeah, it's like the worst thing imaginable. Yeah, yeah. This guy comes up and we're like, dude, shit, we're sorry. Like, we'll go ahead and like wrap up right now. You didn't see it. We didn't see it. Whatever. Yeah. Guy goes, no, 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 no. What, what kind do you have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Welcome <laughs> to Canada. Uh, bro. This in like France. It's like in this space. And they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one at home. And it's like this, da, 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 da. And I like to mix these types of tobacco, but I've tried to, da, da, da. But if you put milk in the base, not as good as having a carbonated liquid, da, 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 da. Man, Canada, US. Very, very big difference. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm amazing that that I'm amazed and happy that you had that because like the majority of the time ha- your police I, for me, because I lived in the States for three years, by the way. So oh, yeah. w- when I when I moved, when I finished engineering school, I moved to Detroit, lived there for two years and then moved to San Francisco, lived there for almost a year. OK. Uh, and was always in Tennessee, Nashville for work, North Carolina. I was around the States. Right. <laughs> so my my police run ins ha- were my. My experience with the police as a black guy in the States and Canada, it's kind of different. In Canada, the police, there's not that much crime. So when they pull yeah. you over for speeding, they fucking take their time. It's their, th- mm-hmm. it's like they do eight of those a day and that's the day, I guess, and, and do a domestic abuse thing. But in, in the States, especially in Detroit, there's a lot more like real action, so to speak. So when they pulled me over, they would always pull me over because I had a BMW 435. I was 22, right? Oh, I just, shit. I leased it right away because I'm retarded, but whatever, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. But it was the biggest mistake anyways, but I had fun. But the point is, they pulled me over all the time. They'd be like, uh, your tint's too dark. Can I see your, is this your car? Oh, and I'd be like, yeah. But the point is, as soon as they saw that it was my car, They'd let me off with a warning. They'd be gone. So, which I didn't mind because I'm like, it's profiling, but at least it's a five minute inconvenience. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that 
like I said, in Canada, they milk it out more. But uh, but even on the global scale, I noticed that the 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 police here, yeah, they're just kind of more nosy. Because I, I even worked in China for a little bit, and I, and I remember in Shanghai, I used to go, I used to buy weed from these Niger these Nigerian engineering students. <laughs> <What about? laughs> that the the construction of that sentence was amazing. I lived in China for a while, by the way. In Shanghai, I used to buy weed from these Nigerian students. Yeah. <laughs> so like, where's so, this going? <laughs> Uh, so pretty much in China, if you're smoking like weed, the cops just want a, a group of black guys sitting in a park bench smoking weed. But we had no any like we had we weren't causing any trouble. And I remember I remember looking at this cop deciding whether or not to engage and just fucking off. I'm like, oh, they do it differently here in China. Like this cop was just like, they're not loud. They're not anything. I'm just going to keep walking, you know, I, Wow. Yeah. Which, and I wow. thought that I, when I saw him, I thought, cause it's like a big offense there. Right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we're fucked. We're three black people in a corner in China smoking wow. weed. No, not at all. So what, uh, did you have run-ins with uh, police enforcement in your years in uh, Chad and, and Africa? of course, of course. Yeah. It's very interesting to talk about police these days. You pull out the, the passport. In Africa, it's all about that passport, right? For the for the most part, I would say uh, it's it is dealt with in two different ways. In Sudan, it is a police state, and they they have intelligence forces to f to follow up with, i.e., spy on uh, any incoming like foreign nationals. Um, so even though I was with uh, the former president Jimmy Carter, so I was part of his delegation um, working. It's my first job out of college in Sudan. Actually, I don't know if I even share that. You were, uh, were you actually with him? Or like uh, with his like crew. He didn't come to Sudan. I was with him in other countries. Like we oh. were in Egypt, and I think he, he didn't come to Tunisia. But yeah, yeah, is he cool? Yeah, yeah. He fell asleep one time when I was talking, so I, I kind of hold it. Fuck uh, you, Jimmy grudge, Carter! But, yeah, yeah. Damn you, Jimmy Carter! <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. It's cool. He to be excused, man. To be excused. Um, Hell yeah. He's, awesome guy. he's like, sorry, I'm. I was. I'm too. Uh, I was a little I'm tired. Too busy doing real shit while you run your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What? <laughs> Excuse me. Is this the Bentley organization? Is that, yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Did I miss something? Is this yeah. the Bentley Brown Center? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, in Sudan, so we have all this like official, you know, clout and like stamps from international organizations and shit. Yeah. yeah. You now I always still get stopped at checkpoints all the time. And, if, and you know, if I speak Arabic, then they're like, oh, this dude's like a Israeli spy or whatever. Oh. Then they say like, oh, he, he speaks chatty in Arabic. Then mine is blown explain how take my passport i have to sit and explain my life story every goddamn city i went to in Sudan. wow uh, dude. and chad is just straight up corruption man so like they'll see the passport they'll be like oh good money like they'll be like okay you got a passport um i'm gonna invent some permit you don't have bullshit yeah that you have to now pay this and if not i have a gun right here these people are witnesses and they're not going to speak out against me as witnesses. <laughs> it's it's a it's a mess. Dude, every single time we flew out of Khartoum, like when my I told you, every five years we'd yeah. go to Sudan. Uh -huh. Every time I remember, even as a kid, my dad would always there'd always be some final tax that just got invented by the fucking random guy in oh. a brown shirt oh. at the airport. There's always like uh one what there's a tax per head because we're a family of eight. It's always some bullshit. And my dad being like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then there's a back and forth and there's money exchange and we just go right through. Man, yo, that's some bullshit. Sudan's a major exit tax place, a major like, exit oh, tax place. This is known, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, theoretically, you actually have to sign up with the police, register with police upon arrival. Then like they give you this paper and you get this thing. And then as you leave, you show all that shit. Alternatively, you can handle the day of travel, but there's no mechanism to do it, which is mind blowing because of course, Nobody's handled it yet. Of course, everybody's leaving it for last minute. 
So I'm at, at Khartoum Airport. Last time I was in Khartoum was in 2017. My friend Alia drops me off at the airport. Uh, I'm like, uh, it's been an awesome trip. I'll see you guys later. She's like, take care. Enjoy your flight. I go in. First of all, there's a protest at the gate because Which they've, is not a good sign, by the way. they've dramatically closed the flight because all y'all showed up too late. So the, so the Saudi Airlines uh, representatives are arguing with the passengers that like, oh, screw you, get on the next flight, whatever. And they're like, we couldn't check in because we've been waiting on your asses to finish the line that we've been <laughs> waiting in for two hours with all our bags and everything. Big dramatic thing. Uh, and anyway, finally they resolved that. They resolved that. I get to the top of the counter and they're like, uh, I don't see any like exit stamp here. I'm like, oh, you got it. Oh my God. You go to this office, that office will give you stamp for this office, stamp for the other office. I wish, had it not been an airport and, and very sensitive for me to take video of this stuff, you know, I wish I'd had my phone running like video of this. I, I went to at least 12 people to get stamps, approval, signatures, whatever, inside the airport before barely making my flight back to Sunday. Yeah. Bro, it was, it was hilarious. Was there money exchanged at any of those 12? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, not, not in the bribe sense, though. You, yeah, you yeah, add, no. That's a special level. Yeah, <laughs> well, like, no, an actual, like, I'm saying, like, oh, yeah. my dad didn't bribe him. My, my dad paid what the man was demanding. It wasn't a bribe. He just paid what thing is suddenly added to the end. That oh, he and you know, you know how it is. Like I'm traveling to Saudi Arabia. I don't want to have Sudanese jinnah on me. I'm already traded that back. So they say you need, we need, you know, thirty dollars or forty dollars. I have to see. Okay, do I have cash on me? Like another U.S. currency or Saudi currency that I run? And there's an exchanger in the airport to exchange that money. And you come back and say, Oh no, we don't. We can't do two hundreds at the same time. We got to do like a, a fifty and a hundred. <laughs> Yeah, you know, total. Hilarious. Oh my god! And my my friend Alia, she's back at home. I'm making a sandwich by this point. I'm sitting here like. <laughs> Dude, every time I go to that Khartoum airport, it looks like some sort of refugee camp. The 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 line is an S. Each person has 96 bags with them. They're trying to set. They're going. To, they're feeding. They're about, they're feeding 18. I don't know what's going on, but it's like fuck, dude. This is a nightmare. Also, there's this hilarious in Sudan. There's like very strong emphasis on equality between men and women but in the like most bizarre way. So like bec because of equality, we have two lines, one for men, one for women. And it's not, it's not golf. It's not like, you know, it's not, it's not families. You just switched mics to your, uh, Oh shit. Mic. Yeah. I think maybe you moved the uh, or something. Just, that's weird. Yeah. It just like right away. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, keep talking. How are we doing now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you drop the gain? Did it reset the gain? You hear me? You hear me? Yeah, you're good. You're good. You're good. We're good now. Awesome. Can you hear? You can you hear? Yeah, me? I got good. you now. Okay, we're good. Okay, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, what were you saying? Yeah. Sorry, right at yeah. that. So it's not like in the Gulf, like the Gisman Awa'i, like the family section, which means women section, Gisman Afra, the single section, which means men. Yeah, Hawaiat uh, or no, not Hawaiat. <laughs> uh, what's it called? Bachelors. Afrad, Afrad. What's the other or, word? Rujan. Azab or something like that, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah, awesome, yeah, 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 that's what they say. It's so, it's so funny, it's like the loser section, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, were, yeah, yeah. you were unmarried, lonely <laughs> as shit, and you were out on a Friday night with five other guys, just to eat dinner before you go back and play FIFA, this section is for you, right? And if, yeah. and if, if yo, if you've made it, if you have a wife, if you got kids, if you have a second wife, a third or fourth, this section is for all y'all. MashaAllah. So in Sudan, it's different. Sudan, it's like, it's like this, like solidly, like. Wait, wait, wait. So, so, so what you were just describing was Chad, sorry? Uh, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Sudan, it's a little different. That, that stuff exists in a, like a couple places, a handful of places. Otherwise, Sudan is like, 
it's this like second wave like Clara Barton like <laughs> like second wave feminism like men are equal to women as long as there's a line for men <laughs> and a line for women I'm like how is that equality you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you find that like at the airport it'll be something like this uh depending on the airline or whatever you're like oh shit I gotta check my flight I'm late I'm like oh the line oh it's short and you get a line like oh sorry it's only for women <laughs> we're Why? we're traveling as a party. Equality. equality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the Arabic word for equality too? Uh, al masawa. Al masawa. Oh. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Would, that's and that line is yeah super short. Ninety percent is like the other line. <laughs> those those. It's insane. It's insane. But yeah, so that's the that's the you know the the lines, the police, the authorities, all that kind of stuff. I do have in America a couple of police stories um, that. Go for it, yeah, I, go, go I think for it. I think when you talk about like white privilege in America, or let's say let's just say hegemonic privilege or whatever, like if you, the, what you're really trying to point out is that like I, like as a white person, I'm not subjected to the same random like tinted windows. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Generally speaking, right? That's yes, that's yes. what we really talk about. Exactly. So really, it's gonna be like it's gonna be invisible stuff. It's gonna be like exactly. you know, things that aren't detected, right? Uh, however, I have one time here in Dallas, I was driving on like a main highway. Um, and, and I have my music loud and everything. And I'm like jamming, whatever, some like this thing, metal or some shit. And music's loud. I look over and there is a, a, an SUV squad car. So already wealthy neighborhood kind of dealer. SUV squad car that has matched my speed. Okay. Right? Not a, I'm going yeah. at least 10 over the speed limit. But like, that's fine, right? So. It's fine. Noticeably yeah. so. Matching my speed. And he's like, he's like, For those who who are only listening, he's giving him a slow down look. Like, yeah. come on, Buster, let's slow yeah. it down. I, I couldn't couldn't even see couldn't. I mean, I, I could see his mouth moving. Slow down. That was it. And wow, heart pounding. I thought I was gonna pull over, and he just went off. Um, another time, DC. This is like this is real deal with an Ethiopian uh, friend. We were driving. And, it's like yeah. And DC is a lot more aggressive for that type of shit. Uh, DC is like. DC is a, a, a lot of a, crime. A capital, a national national capital, and to have like the racial uh, <laughs> issues that it has, like blatantly <laughs> racial segregation era issues that it has, is mind blowing. And so I'm with an Ethiopian friend. It is late. It's like two or three a.m. Uh, we're driving home, and uh, uh, police pulls me over, walks up to the side of the car. Friends in the passengers on the seat right here looks past my friend at me and says, "Oh, I'm sorry. Y'all have a good night." Actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Yo, fuck no! Stop! Why did you pull me over?" I was like, "I need, a, I need an answer." And he's like, "Oh no, we had a report of crime in the neighborhood, but you're fine." Wow. <laughs> what year was that? 2011 ish, 2010. Yeah. But that makes sense though, because Black Lives didn't matter at that time, and now they do. <laughs> now they, now they're starting to matter. Now they yeah, do. They're, they're, then they were anti-matter. Now, yeah. now they're like recognized on the particle spectrum. As that's like matter. I've never heard of something that's so hilarious. Like the the day night of the blatant like contrast. It's like oh yeah. my god, yeah. that's crazy. What about in Africa? Did yeah. you did you? Because Africa is different. It's like I would, me personally, I, I don't want to be like, it's not like I want to be white, but I'd rather be white in North America before be white. I don't want to be white in Africa. I've already yeah. done the stick out thing. I, I don't want to yeah. do the stick out, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
So what, did it feel like an advantage to you? Or did you feel like kind of like, oh, they're going to ask questions like like growing up? Yo, it's a great question. I just talked about this with um, Ola Labib. She's a stand-up comedian in the UK. Okay. Uh, cool. You should definitely connect with her. Definitely have her on the show if you can. Ola, um, Ola Labib. Yeah, Sudanese, uh, British. Yeah, how you, yeah, yeah. How do you spell her name? O-L-A. Yeah. And then L-A-B-I-B. We were just talking about this. And uh, I, I wound up... Like as a kid, I often wish that I I was uh, that I was black. Like I wish I wish I had I wish that you know from America or whatever that my family had been uh, black or African American to come to Chad and then not stick out as much. In reality, that probably wouldn't have been the case. I think you'd still like stick out, like just by like lifestyle and yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And, it'd be it'd right away. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, yeah. Like me in Sudan, I stick out right away. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah. away. Yeah, but that was that was a sentiment I, I held, um, and because I, I didn't want to stick out, like I wanted to fit in, and a lot of my identity formation as a adolescent and teenager is about fitting in. Oh, so yeah, that's why you fucking absorb the hell out of that language, dude. Yeah, it is. Right? It is. And you asked me earlier, like, did I have kind of a linguistic passion? And I said, well, I don't want to be known as like you know an Arabist or that like I just like sit here and like jerk off the Arabic language or whatever. But, but I, but I did, I did like minutely study the language and different dialects and, and full style and that kind of thing and compare, like I went through textbooks and everything very intensely. Yeah. Dude, I, I relate so much, man. Like I was so, I came here when I was six and, and like, you know, this especially cause we're talking about like, um, uh, just your malleability of your brain. Those first six years, you've learned like 10,000 words. I don't even know the number of words. <laughs> like you absorb Insane. a huge amount of your vocabulary in those first six years. Yeah. So coming here at six is a major disadvantage. Number one. Yeah. And I was always embarrassed about whenever people said that you kind of have an accent, I'd be embarrassed by it. Number one. Mm -hmm. I'd always be embarrassed about not knowing the right word. So mm -hmm. I remember just, I remember from like the age of like 14 to like 17, I kept a word document on my desktop mm -hmm. of words of any time I came by an English word, I didn't know. No I, this, way. I for three years, this list would be like five pages and I would scroll through it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, espouse nefarious. Like I would just, mm -hmm. cause I felt so embarrassed not to know it because I wanted to stick. I, I, cause if like you don't know it, then suddenly it's like, where are you from? Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 So that where? it was almost like the same driving force of trying to be like, yo, I'm going to catch up to speed as fast as I can. So I'm not different. Totally. Yeah. I had a, a Hans Ver Arabic English dictionary. It's a, it's a green cover, a uh, famous one used in like language instruction and stuff that has like fallen apart. Tape that thing back together. Just looking up word after word after word. That's amazing, dude. So, and that pretty much, cause I saw your Instagram, you posted like a billion pics that like mm -hmm. instilled like a passion in you to go around these Arabic countries. Right. Cause I saw your, uh, you're all over Africa and the Gulf, like mm -hmm. all over, like are these, everyone that you're always, you're always posing with, are these all your friends from chat or like school or mm -hmm. how have you, uh, assembled? Like, how do you know people everywhere like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Two, I'd say two answers. One is like my, my like natural jobs I was getting out of college relied on me speaking Arabic and English or Arabic, French and English. Uh, so hence that Carter, Jimmy Carter job. Gotcha. That was like, I'd done an internship with them in Atlanta where they have a headquarters. And then, then they employed me in Lebanon, Sudan, Libya, Egypt. You were uh, translating. Uh, I was uh, doing election monitoring. So they do this in the U.S. as well. Um, it's a state of like 
transparency where you bring international like neutral election delegate delegates yeah, third parties to watch like the corruption from <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we would, and then report there's none right yeah I guess, yeah, yeah, right. yeah there, there's no amount of election observers are going to save the u.s from trump <laughs> yeah uh, right this november man sorry you scary. think he's, he's gonna win again I think he's going to win, um, and and I think he would go to uh, what he would consider appropriate means, but what I think a lot of observers would consider uh, corrupt means to uh, to to take advantage of the law for his advantage. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know. Man. Yeah. Four more years of that. Yeah. It's it's kind of scary. Um, I think that I think that like maybe a long dramatic contested election result with him being removed by like the military in January is what we're going to see. No joke. Not Action. like, no, not like tanks outside the white house, yeah. but I mean like a, an actual like security. Mr. Removal. President, we strongly urge you to open the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know He's what like, ah, oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I brought, uh, yeah dude, that's so, what was the craziest election like fraud or election shit you just witnessed in those years? Uh, I gotta say Lebanon. Um, and I say this with like all my love. Yeah, all, and, uh, all the, uh, if you don't know about Lebanon, obviously they're, it's the time to donate. They're just kind of crumbling, especially this explosion came at the worst possible time for their economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this uh, really tragic explosion, which a lot of people are attributing to uh, government negligence. How the yeah. hell do you have all these explosives stored next to the city? Like it's at like the nook. Like, the yeah, port, yeah, it blew like, up the Beirut. port. It like like hangs on that port like a geographically. Country, a country that imports eighty five percent of its food Dude. port explodes. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but the, even even when I was there in two thousand nine, yeah, you'd already get a sense of like some major wheelings and dealings. Like I think apparently, um, uh, Saadat Hariri and his like freedom. I think it was his freedom movement like out of Horeo uh, or. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to just because I'm not privy to it. Saad Hariri was the president at the time. He was the what? Saad Hariri is the son of Rafiq Al Hariri, um, who had been assassinated. So gotcha. people say the whole deal with Rafiq Al Hariri's assassination in 2004 ish, I think, was that it, a bomb went off in downtown Beirut that caused the buildings of some the windows of some buildings to to break. Right. So now people with the explosion a few days ago, similar a bomb went off and yeah. like windows broke for 15 kilometers. Like uh, that's the, that, and then Rafiq so Hariri's assassination shook the nation. Now imagine what, what people are going through right now, right? So, um, but anyway, for Saad Hariri's his son, and so he was on this big, like I think, like prime minister type campaign or whatever with the, the future movement. And apparently, they spent more in ads than Barack Obama's winning campaign did in the really? U.S. for a country Just that's in like, Lebanon, a country that I think. Then I worked in Sudan later. That was like it's geographically. Smaller than Khartoum State, like the <laughs> yeah. state surrounding Khartoum City is smaller than that. They spent more money on ads uh, for that, and it was is that he lost? It was everywhere, uh, and no, he won. He won. Okay, he won. He won. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you were overseeing that election. So I was a observer then. I was I was fresh out of college. That yeah. I was young. I mean, I hopped on a plane. I remember being so excited for this job, like the first time I ever being like flown somewhere. Like, yeah. Like, feel it, right. <laughs> I'm in DFW International Airport, getting all excited. My my boss called me on the way to the airport, which of course I had this amazing uh, super shuttle ride with a Sudanese driver who was explaining to me like the lyrics of Abdel Gadda Saddam songs and shit. It was it was an epic day. I'm already on like cloud nine, um, and boss calls me. She's like, "Hey, I think we're once you get to Beirut, we're looking at hiring you for like a nice like 
month and a half time and stuff too. Super excited. I get inside the airport. I do my classic order an espresso and then I spilled the thing all over my shirt. Right. And this is the one I'm going to arrive in Beirut on. So I'm like frantically looking for like a spare shirt in my bag, go into the bathroom, change, hop on a plane, arrive in Beirut. I'm like, wow, this is what it feels like to be, you know, professional. But I had, I had zero experience. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm sitting here just like happy to meet everybody. Like, yeah. so tell me about your story. And so who are you coming to vote for? And no, you can't ask that question. Oh, okay. Uh, so don't tell me anything. And <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I remember was when, uh, when, when the election results were, were being announced. Um, it's very, it's, it was very dramatized. Uh, people were lighting uh, fireworks, exploding fireworks all over the country. Um, people were out partying. Um, I remember seeing like a politician walk by with like a, a bodyguard with a pistol, like just sitting out his, uh, his uh, pants, you know? And um, we had someone with us who uh, had this sort of like, I don't want to call it stereotypical, but like maybe not the most uh, benefit of the doubt perspective on Lebanese people. Um, yeah. She was coming from the U S and she's like talking to the security advisor for this company. Like, um, Hey, I know this is a dangerous place. Um, can you please tell me how to protect myself from like, you know, terrorism or whatever the hell she's and this guy's like, oh, man, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And she, every day she would call him, apparently, like the satellite phone. You know, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I'm alive and, and, and things are okay, but I don't know if I can, like, stay safe from, like, terrorism or whatever. She would like, call back to America. No, he's like, ma'am, no, no, to the, to the, the guy in Beirut. He's like, oh, yeah. ma'am, you're, like, three neighborhoods away in Beirut. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> and then the election results were announced. And, and she heard the fireworks and she assumed it was like civil war. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, couldn't differentiate, yeah. she couldn't differentiate between like mass ammunition, <laughs> like war oncoming, <laughs> like gorilla has a law enclave or some shit and like fireworks celebrating her. So she calls a security guy. She's like, they're firing outside. I don't know if we're going to make it. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. By this point, he was so like tired of her harassing him every day. He was like, he just played along. He's like, okay, here's what you got to do. Go inside your, your bathroom. Lay down, lie down in the bath, bathtub, close the door, turn the lights off, and don't call me until tomorrow. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's the meanest joke. That's so fucking funny. Trolled her so bad. And she literally stayed there all night, I bet, too. Uh, oh, or, yeah. Yeah, poor thing, man. Elevated heart rate, just sitting there like, yeah. So we're, uh, with, the, with the election, were people just going in? Were you getting the ballots and some guy in a black suit just comes be like, just give me the ballots? And just like it said, this guy and he just crosses it and checks the other guy. No, that's the thing. It's like if you have election monitors, let's say you brought, I mean, the, the EU, uh, European Union would bring delegates. Um, the African Union would contribute delegates. I feel like the Swiss, the Swiss is a whole country just for, ready the, for election monitors. You know? Oh, dude, they're, they're like all over that shit. They're like, that's a whole uh, we have been waiting in Geneva for this past three years since you ended your civil war as an excuse to have election. Oh. Uh, now we are here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the thing is, if you have, let's say you had like 200 election monitors to cover Sudan, which at the time was like North and South, the largest country in Africa, I believe geographically, a huge expanse of land. Uh, how the hell are yeah. you going to get even a remote sample of what's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Like a, a party that's already in power already feels like it's got this election locked, already controls all the media access intimidates uh yeah they don't need to like steal votes right in front of you yeah right they can do it in other ways or they can just by their sheer financial advantage they just give people ride to the polling station and say hey vote for us now that we gave you a ride from your uh, village okay. give people a free t-shirt like little gifts here and there so so in no, any I never case, 
they have the whole keys to the country. They have everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember like these guys, I mean, one of the beautiful things in Sudan is like, it's all these like uncles um, who had been educated in the time before Arabicization of the education system. So now the difference between Chad and Sudan is that Chad's French is still used. The colonial language is used for like, education, jobs, all this kind of shit. In Sudan, it's, it's largely gone to Arabic, but it was English for a time after colonialism. Was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, big time. Universities, everything through like the 70s. Yeah, maybe well, even to the 80s. Really? I believe in Nimeri, uh was one of the main proponents of this Arabization. Maybe some others. Uh, maybe uh, Turabi as well. I think maybe Turabi. Mm, okay. So, uh, so these guys, the, the people volunteering to run the elections are doing it out of a service for their country. And they're all like Sudanese like uncles and grandfathers. That were educated in like this time where they spoke this very Shakespearean English in a way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so many amazing memories. And so one of them, I just remember like one guy was like, he was like, I, I speak Arabic, but I, I'll have someone with me who speaks another dialect of Arabic or, or doesn't speak Arabic. So that often our interviews are in English. And, yeah. and this guy, you know, he'd be like, they stored, they stored the ballot boxes in the school, supporting some kind. And I said, I would not let anyone, come in here. And to insert more votes into the box. Like, so you, you slept here all night. I slept right over there. <laughs> no, and the other guys too. Like they, they just get all nostalgic. Remember, you're trying to talk about like elections and politics and like freedom of expression and all this shit. And they're just like, they're like, oh, you speak English? I'm like, yes, I, yes, I speak English. Can we talk about the election? Like, no, no, no. Oh, you remember? Yeah, I said, remember when we were at Yang Khartoum in 1974? Yes, I remember. Ah. Uh, those are what it is, huh? Back when my heart was young and gay. <laughs> I'm like, the English language has like, changed yeah, a little yeah. bit since then. The other guy was just like, I'm Jed. Hey, Shadida. Dude, that's so fucking funny, man. That's how, so they were just speaking in English because of your presence, or they, they would speak otherwise? Uh, it was, I triggered memories for them gotcha yeah of english okay. yeah. yeah because of the team i would often be paired with someone from another yeah. country so they're, rom- they're romanticizing you rom- like you know what i mean that's oh, yeah. amazing that's so yeah. fucking i oh, slept the, the whole night <laughs> i slept there the whole night well i did not even uh, sleep actually yeah <laughs> that's so but I'm, I'm the same thing man i'm the same thing i'm a i'm a total uh what's a good word for whore uh, for like finding people that speak Arabic in the oh. U.S., I'm lonely as hell. Yeah. I'm lonely as hell. I, well, I'm an, uh, usually I'm working on my PhD in Colorado. And yeah, but we haven't even touched on that. We haven't even touched the PhD. What is the PhD on, anyways? Uh, critical media practices. Basically, I'm doing filmmaking. I'm doing experimental, like sort of nonfiction documentary kind of essay filmmaking. filmmaking. Cool. A lot of sound work as well, with a lot of artists in the program. Um, so and I'm it, learning how to be a Pretentious tool. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I mean, the fact that you identify, uh, recognize that is yeah. puts you in a different class, you know? You're like uh, a meta tool, you know what I mean? Meta tool. <laughs> um, and so with, with media, with PhDs in media, I, like I come from like an academic background. Yeah. Do you, are you defending anything? Do you have a dissertation? Like- yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Um, I, 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 the, the funny thing is this program's new. It's modeled after programs that are not in the U.S. There's not many of these practice-based PhDs where you're making something as part of your dissertation. But the expectation is that I will still write something. Now, I think uh, 100,000 words is kind of like a a ceiling PhD word count for a lot of programs. Some do like 70,000. For us, we'll likely write a few few less than that. Give me that in pages. Oh, I I can't do it on top of my head, but I think in the 300 pages. 
Damn. Yeah. So I'll probably write like 150. I've already written, you know, different steps along the way. Yeah. But, um, and I'll match that to uh, probably uh, two feature films. I've already finished one called Revolution from Afar, which is about the experience of Sudanese American artists watching last year's revolution while not being in Sudan. A lot of them are the children of families who like intentionally left Sudan for the reason of Abu Bashir. Yeah. And here they are. And they, they're like rappers and like, you know, musicians, like producers, poets who, <laughs> who's, Work is revolutionary, but they can't go back to Sudan right now because it's so sensitive. Or their oh, family yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so I was like, you know, instead of making some like, you know, documentary about the revolution, which I feel fortunately a lot of people finally caught up to uh, paying that attention in, in the international scene, I was interested in how does it feel? How does it feel to be cut off in this time that you're so passionate and you have family are putting themselves at risk? They're going on the streets, they're protesting, they're being subjected to, you know, live ammunition. How does it feel to be cut off from that? And that's what that film focuses on. Damn. And well, does that release? Will that ever release? It has. Yeah. So it started screening at festivals. It was at the Sudan Independent Film Festival in Khartoum this year, where it premiered. Oh, hell um, yeah. At the Vision de Riel uh, Media Library with our Swiss friends. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> the, I'll be doing the, festivals the, around the... The one in Toronto, which ended up being a scam. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm never applying there again. Don't worry. Our, Tor our Toronto screening will be legit. Right. You said uh, you said at least there would be food here. You know? yeah. <laughs> Where's the there food? is food. It's a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty sick, dude. I'd love to actually watch. So yeah. everybody probably felt like, uh, ang like probably there was angst. I'm assuming is the general vibe of it. Yeah, yeah, it, a lot, a lot as well. Yeah, and I it, there's a fine line because I don't want to, like, I want to, I want to validate the stories that the participants are telling. Yeah, in the, in these series. Um, I don't want to take away from what they have to share and what they're going through, but there are a lot of voices out there that are, are looking to delegitimize uh, the voice of the like diaspora, like the Sudanese American crowd, or maybe the you know, Canadian Sudanese, okay? uh, because they're saying, Hey, y'all, y'all aren't here right now. You're not in Khartoum. So you, therefore you don't have a right to speak exactly. about what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. But I think if we go down that rabbit hole, then everybody doesn't have a right. Like then you start saying, Oh, this person, has this fault, that person, has this fault. You're right. It's like you were saying, it's like, uh, we're being in that like third jet, like third, yeah. like, uh, I don't know when the two circles are a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you're on the one side no, and then you're trying to talk about the other side, it's like, if they c cut you down for that opinion, then where the fuck do you belong? Yeah, exactly. Where yeah. do you belong if that's not okay? But, but you're right too. When it's like people are standing, it's not like it's, Oh, it's, um, you can't minimize it with your own, like, uh, I'd love to do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially yeah. when there's so much actual lives being put on the line over there. It's hard to say your opinion without minimizing the actual risk of it right now. Mm -hmm. But also because they're artists, their actual, um, you know, them speaking about or touching on that subject itself, lets people that have no idea about it know. So it's actually, there's strength in that, like in their local pools or the local echo chamber. Yeah, I think it's so important to just listen to all the voices, right? To give everybody a chance to speak, um, to be on the individual level, to be very patient, to be ready to listen first, uh, take things in. See how can I help? Not how can I? Not how can I sound like I know everything figured out? But how can I? How can I help? How can I? How can I welcome you? How can I embrace embrace whoever it is, right? That's that needs help. Because uh, if you if you break down like privilege, you're gonna find that everywhere. You got a, the Khartoum people saying, "Oh, the diaspora, shut the fuck up." Yeah. The Khartoum people have privilege that people outside of Khartoum aren't yeah. going to have, right? Yeah, yeah. And the people outside of Khartoum 
or there's going to be some families that have relative pool. If we start saying only the most marginalized can speak, because of the definition of marginalization, they don't have a voice. Dude, there's no like, voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're right. That's a, that's a great point. And you said you made two feature films, right? Next one I'm working on is all home video assembly um, and some modern footage as well of my family's move to chat. Oh, uh, that would be really cool too. And investigating the idea of miracles. And this is where I, this is where I feel we like, we have a, 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 one thing I love in your TikTok videos is you're not afraid to address um, the, like, the elements of religion uh, as with identity, with immigration, with the third culture identity, all that kind of stuff, right? It's all, it's all out there. Reminds me of uh, the series Rami I've been getting into. Oh, a lot of people, yeah. huge, huge. So watched it all. I plug it all the time. Okay. Did you watch both seasons? I, I, I'm in the middle of season two right now. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, season two, they, ta- they wrote a list of like, what are the most hot button, like top of the list society issues? Let's tackle them all in one season. I've never seen anything like it, <laughs> but it's, it's an amazing show. They, that show is Dave Merhej is a Canadian uh-huh. comedian. He's the bald dude. Oh, okay. That's a yeah, yeah. yeah, he's the funniest oh, guy in the show. Yeah. It's am- the friends are awesome. Dave Mer- and Mo Amir, those are both comedians. Like all three are comedians. Yeah. Mo Amir and Dave are uh, a lot more seasoned. But yeah, those are the stories. You know what it is? Yeah. And I know this is like, look at South Park for an example, right? Mm-hmm. South Park makes fun of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're a fan, but South Park makes fun of everybody. And like just where we are in the world right now or just where we are in like the evolution of society and everything, you can get away a lot more with making fun of Christianity, Judaism, everything else. Islam mm-hmm. is still the one where it's like mm-hmm. people recoil, right? And as someone who grew up like, you know, I grew up very like hardcore Muslim, you know what I mean? So I know the culture in and out. I'm like, yo, I'm not coming at this from like an outsider point. I'm fr- that's why yeah. the stuff hits because yeah. I grew up in it. I'm not making fun of it from the outside. I'm making fun yeah. of it from the inside. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like I just want to unveil that thing to be like, yeah, we can fun of me. We can make fun of this one, too. We get to make fun of any of them. There's yeah. there's. There's nothing you can say. Okay, you make fun of all that stuff, but not this thing. There's n- n- there is that's not a thing. I hope people can under- they can appreciate your sincerity with that too, because you're not making fun of it to like belittle people. You're making fun of it because you have an intimate experience with it. Oh, yeah, you- watch my video. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm making fun of the culture surrounding being raised in an immigrant in a Muslim. Yeah, family. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah raised yeah. as a Muslim among Muslims. That you, oh, how could you? If you're laughing, go look at the comments. Go look at this there's community behind it. You know, you could be like, you could just be like totally black and white about it. Like, no, I'm a Muslim. I don't do this. Then it's like, what are you doing? Right. Rami Youssef did an interview with IndieWire and he explained that he, when he does stand up, he'll do shows at masjid, like uh, mosques. And then he'll do a show like the same night. He'll leave the mosque. He'll go do a show at, like a nightclub, right? Or like a comedy club. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's and so, and so he would, he says for the, for the crowd on the masjid, it, literally it's as you imagine, right? It's like women on the side and on the side um, and you got to keep it halal, right? So he's, he's saying jokes that if he even Clean, like yeah. references like, yeah. like other sex, like romance or something, right? Yeah, yeah, he's already, yeah. already uncomfortable. People are shifting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and then he goes to the nightclub or to the comedy club. You can say nightclub. He's like yeah. got a table and like bar <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what do you have to tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you laughing? What's with, what's with planes, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's with plane food? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's, like, he's at the comedy switch. club. 
he's at the comedy club, and then they get uncomfortable with things about religion. And yeah. so he claims, you know. Um, so I, I love how and politics, politics, religion. And the show is, is it like, does not shy from those things. There's some people criticize the show around me. In fact, I didn't watch it for the first like year or so that's been out because a lot of friends were saying, this is stereotypical. Uh, he's just saying all these like basic, uh, you know, Arab American jokes. He's making fun of, you know, basic uh, Islamic ideologies. Uh, no, that's- I think it's <laughs> further, it couldn't be further from the further truth. From the truth, head on issues. Yeah. And if there's any awkward stereotypical stuff, it's because there's no library of, of this multicultural, like, you know, American Islamic kind of work. There's nothing out there. So you're giving, you're writing the first joke. Exactly. Like, it's super original to think yeah. that it's anything else is a fucking lie. It's yeah. super original. Number one, like you said, the pool of the genre that it exists in is so empty that Rami and you didn't even finish season two yet. They're yeah. almost, they're tackling too much too fast. Oh, As, right. uh, yeah. if, if, if you compare it to the speed of what is out there, they're tackling everything. Every yeah. episode is literally like trans in this one. Homosexuality, yeah. latent homosexuality in, the, yeah. in this one. Boom, yeah. boom. I'm like, holy shit. Every episode, they're doing a thing. It's almost they're, they're, they kick the door down. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now yeah. this type of content is going to be a lot easier for other uh, people of like, other other faiths that aren't super like yeah. captured in the limelight to be able to come out and do their stuff. Agreed. Uh, I heard a, a, a sort of a not to like belittle like a female Rami like a like a, a new a side series or whatever has been on greenlit recently. Uh, which a about. character? Uh, his sister is. Uh, I think the. Okay, I don't think I don't think it's a. It's not actually like a branch from Rami, but I think the same uh, actor actress but, in the first first episode first ever that he goes on that date with. I think I think she just got greenlit for her own show. That's when I knew that series was the first episode when you oh. can have someone explaining uh, watch between your toes. I was so just going to say your prayers. The moment then, the, the moment I saw that, dude, the moment I saw the guy with the, the, the Muslim guy, the Egyptian yeah. guy with the prayer mark and yeah. talking about cleaning between your toes. I'm like, holy fuck, this is the show I would have made. He's, I realized in that moment, like I'm watching, he's, this person is doing, I didn't even know him on yeah. the map at that point. Yep. Same man. And then in the same episode to have this basically kind of like a sex scene or whatever in the car, someone saying, choke me while I touch myself. I'm like, how did you put all this content in the same episode? <laughs> Genius. And so anyone saying, oh, it's stereotypical or whatever is like you said, super way off. I mean, this is. Uh, pioneering material. Couldn't be more original. Like I yeah. said, and they're really breaking down the door. I'm fucking, I applaud that show big time. Big time. I'm, and I plug Rami all the time. Actually, I have some friends who are on the more conservative side who don't even fuck with it. Yeah. yeah they're yeah, conservative yeah, yeah. Muslims, like Muslim conservatives who are just yeah. like, uh, I don't know about mixing these two genres, man. I, I, this is the gray area. I don't know if, you know what I mean? Like, there's gonna be that, like I said, like, it seems like Islam being melded into the society of like comedy is like way further behind than like I could make Jesus jokes all day. I make a Muhammad joke, dude, it will stop. It will come okay. to it will it will come to a but think about it. Why? Yeah. Why? Cuz he's our guy? What? Mm -hmm. So so you don't care about all the other stuff. it's like mm -hmm. you have to be able to make fun of everything for it to be for the playing field to be open, right? Mm -hmm.
But then again, I know there's this. Some people might. This is like episode uh, six of season two. It might make yeah, the conservatives go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal, man. I, I find myself struggling with this a lot in my film work, um, even in comedy and uh, videos and stuff. Is just that being able to be yourself um, in a way that doesn't just like trigger a knee-jerk reaction based on someone's beliefs. Yeah, and I, I find that very sad. I, I think that like. I wish that in the same way that, uh, you know, so many people are able to accept the ideas of others, they're able to la laugh at themselves. Um, I, I hope that that could be the case for everyone because it would make life a lot easier. You know what? I hope in my lifetime, because, uh, you know, the main, my main passion, my main drive is to uh, pretty much become uh, an internationally touring stand-up comedian. Yeah. That's really what I'm after. And I really hope in my work and in my lifetime, I take it a notch in that direction where we yeah. could take a breath, we could talk about Islam and laugh and no one feels like a fucking thunderbolt is about to break through. That's yeah. what I hope, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm going to work on some like new TikTok videos. We're going to talk about TikTok a little bit too before we head out here. But um, yeah. uh, you're about I'm to new. be banned in 45 days apparently, bro. Didn't you read I'm that? I'm new. Yeah, they can't sell it, right? Yeah, if, uh, yeah they, they, so yeah. that may push them to yeah. sell uh, They're saying the TikTok might be the, the single most decisive factor in Trump's uh, not being reelected. <laughs> like, really? People will go to the polls to keep TikTok in business. Yeah. yeah. To keep? Oh yeah. If it gets banned. Yeah, man. But, think about it. But forty-five days. Does that? It, it, does the election start within that? Uh, no, the election's after that. But yeah, so. but if TikTok's been banned for like a month, and you can go vote to change that. You're right. That's hilarious. He has 50 million users. So yeah. you're right. So now I imagine his advisors are probably going to be like, uh, he, he's just being, he's being a jerk, man. That's all it is. He's not going to ban it. But my, my one buddy was making a good point because Google is blocked in China. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's interesting that he's not using that as a, as a defense, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not be like they, they blocked us. Why can't we block him? I haven't even heard him mm -hmm. mention that one time. But I've enjoyed TikTok. I mean, for me, I've been doing these like Instagram stories as like a sequence for a while. I'm a film editor. So I'm already thinking when I do a story, I'm already thinking about like, it's just appearing like in threes. Like, is there like an act one, act two, act three of my, of my stupid story, you know? And then a lot of one minute videos on Instagram back in the day, I got tired of it because it wasn't monetized. So I felt like with Instagram, you're always promoting, you're always pushing out content for the half life is very short for like a day people to interact with it. Like yeah, exactly, day. exactly. Day and a half, Max. Half That's what's amazing about TikTok. I get on TikTok, I publish some like sing-along. It wasn't even meant for TikTok, some sing-along to like a Hashem Marghani song or something. Not Nobody really interacted or whatever. I was like, screw this TikTok. You know, I'm like, eventually, um, inspired by videos uh, like yours, um, falafel kimchi. I saw falafel kimchi out there being being cynical. Who is who's falafel kimchi? Uh, look him up. He's a, uh, I think he's like Korean. Like uh, I'm totally gonna botch this now. He, he needs to come out and call me out for this. But falafel uh, kimchi. Maybe, maybe I found him. I found him. Is in he Jordan or somewhere like that? I'm not sure. Maybe Lebanon. Who knows? Oh, yo, yeah. dude. Yeah. What's the revelation? Whoa, that's crazy, huh? Let me. First yeah, video I, I just, saw of his. First video I saw of his was like day one in Arab country. And he's and people were like, oh, are you are you Chinese? Are you Chinese? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like smiling. I'm not Chinese. I'm Korean. It's different. 
a similar area, but uh, it's different. Like week week two in Arab country, like meet the Sini. The Sini is like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not Chinese. I am. I'm Korean. Different country. Different country. Like month two in Arab country. It's the Sini. like, yes, yes, yes. I'm yeah, Sini. Yeah, I'm Sini. Yeah. I'm Jackie Chan. Yeah. Ah, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yo, this guy tells it like it is. Inspired me to go off this stuff. That's what's amazing about TikTok is like you were saying, Instagram terrible half life because Instagram it shows you your timeline, which is a compilation of everyone you follow and their yep. newest shit. Whereas TikTok whatever is your ripest fruit in your entire catalog, it keeps throwing that out at new people. All so your So your good videos continue to build momentum. It's like YouTube. It's, which is way better for video content creation. Yeah. You realize really how nice. fit Instagram really is for that stuff. How bad it is, sorry. I mean, I had, I mean, I've never had on Instagram this thing happen where like on TikTok, I have a video I made, you know, seven days ago. And it's, it's got the views that I would have on Instagram. It's got that like 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 view kind of thing. I'm like, oh wow, it's a successful video. I'm over here making like a three, three or four more videos. I, I see the views on that first video go up. Like today they double 15,000. Like what? And then it didn't grow for the first three days. And it's like 100,000, like, what the hell? 200,000, what the, keep, keep it coming. Yeah, I wish, I wish there was a way to monetize. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, exactly. It's, uh, it's difficult, but we'll tell a time. I can tell you're growing your follower base in uh, Instagram and you're growing it on TikTok too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It'll, in the meantime, just keep amassing, right? So once mm-hmm. that like uh, clear path to monetization is there. Yeah, yeah. you ready? We'll yeah, see, sure. we'll see what happens. But yo, man, this has been fucking incredible, dude. I feel I'm never going to forget that name, Bentley Brown. Especially, I feel like I'm going to see documentaries. Well, <laughs> actually, let me just ask you real quick. What is the, would you call yourself a documentary creator or a documentary director? Or? I, I like filmmaker in general. Filmmaker because in general. When you, the deeper you get into filmmaking, you realize that there's no such thing as like rea- objective reality of filmmaking. Like even people that are, I mean, documentaries are, are becoming more popular. Like we're seeing them all over Netflix and Hulu and the main streaming service. But even documentaries are largely constructed. And so, and so this dichotomy of like, okay, a documentary is real. I can trust it. Oh, this movie over here isn't real. I can't trust it. It's kind of constructed. I mean, even movies are based on gotcha. real experience. So yeah. I kind of, even my films, I have uh, explored that a bit. I have this web series called Jetta Vlog. Jetta Vlog? Sh- shot as if it's a behind the scenes on a movie production in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Um, and it's all scripted. Is it all? Uh, uh, it's only a year old. Yeah, okay, I think YouTube. my roommate may have watched that. Okay. That's that's who's telling me that you need ten episodes, like a mini series type thing. But it looks like you're watching like like behind the scenes, like really like just jumbled behind the scenes. Like what the hell are they doing? They're supposed to be filming tonight. They're having a meeting at a coffee shop. Like what's going on? And uh, and it's all constructed, but it's shot in a way to make you think that it's a real behind the scenes though, because uh, we had we always had behind the scenes teams on our movies we were shooting there. Like I was in Jeddah for the last like three years before coming to Colorado, teaching filmmaking. Um, and working on films, basically, right? Oh, so sick, okay. Awesome, you know, Sudanese uh, film industry is very budding. There's the festival there, which is great, but not not a ton else. Chad, like really, really not well off in the film area. So Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, geographically, culturally, it's the closest place I can be that has active cinema and Saudi Arabia just like legalized cinema. Like there's, a, there's like big festivals <laughs> sprouting out. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. Going out. It's crazy. So yeah, so I was there and we, we would have behind the scenes teams. Uh, recording moments with these with these feature films where where we were shooting at a time when it wasn't really clearly legal yet and all this shit would go down but when shit goes down uh, 
uh, unfortunately, <laughs> the behind the scenes team isn't allowed to be there to see it or like or they have to run <laughs> like clean the set or like the batteries are dead or whatever. So we wrote this uh, series to kind of like challenge that notion to, 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 to show those things that really happen but in a fictional sense. So that, I'm all over, man. Filmmaker, filmmaker is probably the best way. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine is a filmmaker as well and he tries to make a lot of documentaries and I asked him, like, what, what is it you constantly, every time I'm talking about, what are you working on? He says, work on a documentary. He's like, bro, there is so much grant money for documentaries. Apparently, mm. documentaries, uh, people throw money, uh, like the government has funds in Canada, throwing money at documentaries way more than original series or way more than oh, wow. features or anything like that. So from that a Canadian is. artist perspective, I was like, oh, I had no idea about that. They just throw money at making documentaries because – it's Canada just likes you, you. It is really the, 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 the era of the documentary. Like there's more yeah, documentaries sure. than I've ever seen or known. People are talking about them more than I, I ever remember. I find some of these films most interesting when I can't, I'm watching them. Like I can't tell, Oh my God, it's like a documentary. It's just like real to stage. It's whatever. Cause of I the emotional like a states. Lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, us sucks for film grant money. Us sucks. Um, and with Trump's administration, it's gotten worse. A lot of I would imagine yeah. down for the arts has been like, reduced phenomenally. Was it good uh, with Brock? Uh, better, better. Uh, Europe and Canada are better than the U.S. in terms of funding these things. The good thing with like the documentary space is that, like this film that I made last year on the experience of people cut off from the Sudanese revolution, this revolution from afar. It's called. This is like I, I made that film basically for free. Like I got small grants from my university, like a. $750 here, $1,000 here, whatever. I got small grants, but I didn't get like actual big funding for salaries or anything like that, you know? But yeah. you, can, you can really make something with the right tools that's watchable with, for very little. So it's a great place to start and then try to see if you can get additional grant funding. It's very economical, yeah. 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 Because you can get away with poor lighting and poor sound in a documentary because mm -hmm. you can dub it over with voice after. But with a feature and stuff, it always has to be lit well. There always has to be the sound. So, like, it's a lot more uh, involved of a crew, right? And the best is that you can shoot that documentary in a way that feels like a feature almost, right? So, like, you, the, the visuals are taken care of artistically. Like, you do have a nice uh, lighting setup. Like, even if it's what's available in the space, but you're taking advantage of that really smartly. I love those kind of films, too. So, that's kind of avoiding the, like, talking heads films. Yeah. You <laughs> know what was amazing? I remember an inconvenient truth was huge for that. Do you remember oh, Al Gore's inconvenient yeah. truth? Do you remember? That was like a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yep, being like, yep. that was like a movie. Yep. And it came out in theaters. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I like that feeling. I, I think more, more shit. Well, hell yeah, man. I'm going to plug that. Send me the links uh, for Revolution from Afar. I'm going to put it in the description. Put your sure. handles in there. As always, you can plug your handles right now. It's Wed Brown, right? Which is like Brown Boy, right? Wed Brown. Oh, yeah. Brown Boy well, or the son of Brown. Like the son of the family. Oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. And uh, at Wed Brown on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. Um, YouTube channel. If you just enter that, it'll it'll come up. Or Bentley Brown on YouTube. I'll put it. I'll put it all in the description for you. Yeah, dude, this has been an amazing conversation. I hope COVID's not too crazy wherever you are in Texas. Uh, are, do you require masks out there? Do they do they require them by law to go into businesses? Hello. Well. My man disconnected here, but 
for those of you who have been sticking this far, I appreciate you for listening. I think the guy got cut off, but we were wrapping it up anyways. Uh, as always, Spotify, Apple, you'll click that follow. Uh, and check out the full video on YouTube. I release it on Wednesday. You can go to the sonarnetwork.com as well. And check this. Nice. Sorry about that, man. I apologize. Then oh, I dude. cut off on my end. And just I clicked uh, uh, just so we can hop back right in the right spot. I just checked the ending of the video. It caught you right when I was like, what's going on with COVID in Texas? Are they, uh, do you got to wear masks out there right now? Uh, yeah, finally, Texas uh, caught up to like, like early March and they're, uh, trying to encourage distancing and at least wearing masks in public, but every like open water park I drive by or, <laughs> or like nightclub or restaurant or whatever. The results are clear. Uh, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I don't Better know. than Florida. I've heard <laughs> <laughs> that's not saying much, but man, again, uh, we chopped off there for a second, but I'm glad we connected again. Yo, I appreciate you so much for coming off. You're an interesting fucking dude. Anybody out there, make sure to check Revolution from Afar. It'll be down there in the links. Check out my man, Bentley. All the links will be in the description. Uh, I appreciate you for coming on, man. And I, and I hope you wrap up that PhD nicely. Yeah, uh, likewise. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to get to know you. All right, man. I can't wait to light a shisha and don the square one day. Dude, man, I'll be there with you, man. I have the Khalil Mamoun upstairs, bro. We'll get it going, dude. Okay. Nice. Have a good one, man. I appreciate you. All right, you too, man. Right. Uh, one second, one second. Let's. Uh, I'll take a take a screenshot. I'm gonna match your backwards hat here. Okay, all right. Let me. Uh, there we go. All right, nice. One sec, I can. Uh, with the screen hat, boys. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think I. Can you give me a smile? Yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, boy. Love it, love it. But yeah, I know, yeah. For, um, for anybody uh, listening, watching all that stuff, I think I may even include that part in the audio. But still, come back to, to the immigrant section. Click that subscribe on Spotify, Apple, all that stuff, as always. Come back. Appreciate y'all. Peace, Bentley. Have Ooh. a good one, man. Kill that. Take beer. care, man. All right. Ma salam. Ma salam, ma ma'allam. Allah yarham al PhD zaf. I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs>